Good afternoon. This is WVEWLP Brattleboro, your community radio station, also streaming live online at WVEW.org. This is Indigo Radio, deepening understanding and making connections on the air every Sunday at noon. We are a group of educators seeking to learn through engaging with others in our community and throughout the world. You can find us on Facebook at Indigo Radio and on Instagram. The views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the hosts and guests and not the radio station. Um, I'm Nina Kunimoto, and I'm a PhD student at UMass Boston um, and also a local um, educator in the Spark Teacher Training Program. Today, our show is in commemoration of Indigenous Peoples Day coming up Monday. That's tomorrow. We're looking at censorship today, uh, particularly in Japan, but also here in the United States in regards to indigenous peoples. So three economically most powerful countries currently, right? Japan, Germany, and the United States, with the United States leading also as a global military threat. Um, are These are the three countries um, that continue to censor history while, f- while flying the banner of justice and equity and rights. So our focus today will be on Japan um, and, and the United States through um, a local experience of Corey Sorensen, who teaches in Guilford. So we interviewed Reiko Maejima. Uh, she is a PhD candidate in ancient oriental philology in Vienna, Austria. Um, she's also my um, Japanese tutor. And her thesis, and I have to say this out loud because it sounds so amazing. So her thesis is Political Power of the Neo-Assyrian Empire and the Construction of the Royal Library at Nineveh in 7th Century BC. A re-examination of the colophons of Assurbanipal's library. So that's her what her research is about. Um, but we draw upon her experience of um, having taught social studies and history for over 10 years, secondary um, social studies in Japan, for, uh, for the Gunma Kokusai Academy and the Shukutoku Sugamo High School. Earlier this year, in, in August, I suppose in the summer, it wasn't too long ago, to commemorate the U.S. bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki on August 11th, um, 2019, we spoke with Reiko Kato, who is a professor of intercultural communications, pedagogy, contemporary social issues, and diversity, inclusion, and equity at Kyushu Institute of Tech. Um, and we spoke to her about the role of imperialism in the past and the present. So today, we c- it's kind of a follow-up to talk about um, more specifically of a person who's taught in the secondary classroom in Japan about how Hiroshima, Nagasaki, the U.S. bombings are taught. Yeah, and so to kick off our show today, let's start with a song, and let's start with Bob Marley, You Can't Blame the Youth. Come 
WVEWFM. Um, so we just listened to um, Bob Marley, You Can't Blame the Youth. Um, and our topic today is about censorship of textbooks in Japan and the United States. So what do you think of the lyrics? Yeah, I, I, I liked that song. Bob Marley's saying, you can't blame the youth. You're teaching them about cow jumping over the moon, the uh, spoon running away with however that rhyme goes. But... <laughs> And he says you teach the youth about Christopher Columbus, and you said he was a very great man. Yeah, and then you buy, Christmas comes around, you're buying the kids the guns, and so it just goes, it just uh, shows that what we're teaching the youth, the youth are going to replicate in their own lives. Absolutely. Um, So that brings us to what we're talking about today, which is um, about censorship. And in a moment, we're going to go to an interview with Reiko Majima, who's a PhD candidate um, in Vienna, Austria, who taught um, in secondary, taught history in secondary school for over 10 years. But we wanted to kind of think about like, what is text, right? Um, And is text seen as authority? And is text uh, a site? of memory. Um, and then an interesting thing that Reiko actually brings up uh, in the interview is about oral history and what place does that have and could that be a form of resistance? And, you know, what we learn and the stories that we learn, like Bob Marley was saying, that, you know, how, what, how does that translate into action, into students' day-to-day lives? You know, narratives persuade people, right, to act in one way or another or not to act in other ways. Yeah, and uh, I think narratives that people hold as true determine the way that people view the world and uh, what is important and what is valued. And one example that I always think of when I think of narratives and how they uh, shape the way that we see the world is um, how anthropologists explain in the way in which the earliest human ancestors moved from or began to walk on two feet. So while some anthropologists would say, would uphold the 
supremacy of upright posture, attributing the, some would say that the enlarged brain came first and that earliest humans started to walk on two feet because of the enlarged brain, because that differed from Neanderthals and other early primates, while others would say that when humans started to use their free hands as manipulators for tools um, and manufacturing, then that's what sparked the, the enlargement of the brain. And so this gives, this is two different views of how humans started to walk on two feet. And the dominant view for a long time was that the enlarged brain is what gave way to the standing on two feet. And I use this as an example because that being the dominant view in our economic society where, where brain and mental labor is valued over physical labor, it just goes to show like, what beliefs about what stories are being told, mm-hmm. how they shape the world. And, and I think that's still the dominant narrative. Yeah, which, but that there are many anthropologists that while the brain and the physical labor go hand in hand and it's a relationship, mm-hmm. there's a lot of evidence that shows that the physical, that using hands as manipulators would influence the brain mm-hmm. first. So we're going to go into our interview um, with Adeko. And just as a um, warning that... Uh, there were some technological issues and there'll be sort of a little break in between. So, Reiko, um, tell us about your work uh, as a teacher in Japan. What grades did you teach and, and what did you teach? Okay, so I was a teacher, actually, at the elementary school and the secondary school for about 14 years. I mainly had lessons of social studies. So that means geography, history, and the economy, and then politics and the civics. And then so um, most American or U.S. listeners and maybe other listeners around the world don't really know the Japanese um, education system. So if you could just kind of <laughs> give us a, a sense of that, it would be great. Okay, so we have, yeah, the kindergarten two or three years for kindergarten. And we have the elementary school at the elementary school. Mm-hmm. So for six years. Yeah. So from seven years old to 12 years old. And then so junior high school. So we have the three years education for junior high school. And until junior high school, it is the compulsory education in Japan. Okay. So, wait. um, High school, secondary is not compulsory. Is that right? Secondary is not. Only the junior high school part. Only three years education. Right, right. So, which is that's how it's different in the U.S. is you have to go to secondary. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And then after that, high school. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, for three years, from uh, the 16 years old to 18 years old, basically. And the percentage of the students who go to high school is now more than 19.7%, I guess. Okay, so most Japanese students go on from middle school to high school. Yeah. So that's sort of the structure, which is a little bit different. And you taught in elementary, but most, it looks like mostly high school that you taught. Yes, mostly. Yeah. Okay. So 
let's now like move into sort of the topic that we um, we want to talk about, which is um, censorship in textbooks. Um, and our show today actually also coincides with Indigenous Peoples Day, and other mm -hmm. people know it as Columbus Day. So mm -hmm. we'll be talking about this in that mm -hmm. context as well. Um, but if you could tell us about how Japanese textbooks tell the history of the U.S. bombing of Tokyo, Hiroshima, mm -hmm. and Nagasaki, the mm -hmm. Japanese invasion of Nanjing, Korea, and other parts of Asia, um, and how is the government controlling the story or the narrative? Mm -hmm. Okay, first of all, I will explain to you the structure of the history lesson from elementary school to high school. So elementary school, only sixth grade, grade six, uh, uh, the, the students learn the history, Japanese history, but based on the bi biography, biography, yes. mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, and then, so before that, we, they learn a little bit about history, but local history, mm. the history and the community. Yeah, for example, in Tokyo, or in Yokohama, in Hiroshima, and so on. <laughs> and then, so in junior high school level, they learn the Japanese history, general Japanese history, not only the community, not only the person, but also the general history they learn. And then, so high school level, yes, so till 2021, <laughs> the only the word history is, uh, how do you say, the compulsory, compulsory subject. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But the Japanese history, that's elected, sub elected subject. Okay, yeah. so Japanese history is elective, but world history is compulsory? Yes. Oh, that's In high school. Oh. But uh, till 2021. <laughs> oh, 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 okay. It will be changed. Oh, change to both to will be compulsory? General history. Oh, so not Japanese history, not world history, but general history. The general history, yes. Interesting. Yeah, so that means the textbook for elementary school, history textbooks for elementary school, junior high school, and the high school are totally different. But in elementary school, for example, we learned about the the war, history of the war. Uh, the first, we talked about the history of the war in local situation. For example, the U.S. bombing of Tokyo, U.S. bombing uh, of Yokohama, or any other city. Because I was an elementary school student in Yokohama. I was an elementary school teacher in Guma. And then, so I needed to tell, tell them the, about the story, local story in Guma. So I needed to research about that kind of story for the elementary school. And then the so grade six, 
they learn about the war history based on the textbook. But at that moment, the, they learn about only the some, uh, some person, for example, Toyotomi Hideyoshi, <laughs> Tokugawa Ies, these, these kind of historical persons. So the, about the atomic bomb or US bombing, we don't need to tell about who did it. And so the, on the textbook, they don't say. And just, okay. yeah, actually the atomic bomb is bombing. <laughs> so how do you say? In, um, oh, the, yeah. the um, Hiroshima was bombed. But, so it doesn't say who bombed. Who bombed. Yeah. No, because, yeah, of course, the yeah, Japanese language is the really contextual language. Yes, it's contextual. Yes. yes. So before that story, we talk about the war against the U.S. Mm-hmm. But the, at that moment, we usually say. So, Reiko, um, tell us about we were talking about work, like who, uh, as a teacher um, in Japan. The, in what? Japanese ed- textbook, especially in the elementary school. Yeah. The textbook... Uh, don't say textbook don't need to say who did it okay yeah right. so the, of course we talk about the war the mm-hmm. pacific war world mm-hmm. war Two. yeah and about the allied allies yep yep allied yeah allies. yeah so that's u.s united states great yes Britain. yes yeah yeah but we don't. We don't need. The, yeah, the textbook don't doesn't text, textbooks don't need to say the who bombed to the U at uh, to Nagasaki Hiroshima. Right. Yeah. It, and then so uh, the the t- date is important. Date are important. Sixth and the ninth. And then the final, uh, the we say the, the at the end of uh, the on fifteenth August, the war is over. War was over. Yeah, yeah. That's the only the explanation in elementary school. Okay. Yes. And actually, junior high school also. <laughs> <laughs> we, mm. we don't need to tell them so detailed one. Yeah, of course, each teacher, some of the teacher, we, we can say, want to tell them more. And then when I was a junior high school or high school student, the teachers, yeah, actually, teachers are nowadays 60 years old or 70 years old. Their, their generation wanted, that generation wanted to tell us more story about the war. Right. And I think that generation of teachers also um, were more resistant. They resisted against sort of the the common narrative in Japan. Yes. Yes. So, yeah, of course, the textbook, yeah, not all, but some of the textbook didn't say anything about, for example, the na- Nanjing or uh, Nanjing and the Korean and then... Oh, yeah. Nanjing, Korea yeah. and the Philippines. Invention. Yeah. Invasion. And then huh? at Asia. That kind of story, yes. Yeah, so we cannot find... 
we couldn't find any quorum or the sentences about them sometimes in the, on the textbook. But yeah, more teachers wanted to teach us about this kind of story. When you were a student, right? But yeah, when I was a student. Right, but so not necessarily. It means, it means 30 years, yeah, 30 years or. Okay, yeah. but now yeah. it's not so much the case or. It's difficult because of the generation of the teacher. Mm-hmm. Right, okay. Yes. Um, so just, just to kind of sum up, basically textbooks, in Japan and, mm-hmm. and the U.S. as well. I, I mean, I, it's not like the U.S. is not, you know, guilty of censorship as well. <laughs> but, um, but what uh, the textbooks don't say is that, and is this true also in high school? It does not mm-hmm. say the U.S. bombed Hiroshima, the U.S. bombed Nagasaki, the U.S. bombed Tokyo. Is that true in high school also? Yes, not so strongly. Mm, okay. Why yes. do you think why do you think that is? Is it just because of the Japanese language or is it more has more of a purpose not to mention? <laughs> Good question. Yeah, one kind of the uh, reason. One reason is clearly the Japanese, right? But the other is, I think, the relationship between U.S. and Japan. Right, right. Yes. So, actually, in Japan, there are a lot of U.S. bases. Oh, yeah. (laughs) We've actually done a radio show on the number of bases in Japan. It's almost some people would argue that Japan is actually occupied by the U.S. in many ways. Yeah, Actually occupied. We cannot say like that. (laughs) Well, of course not. Right. (laughs) But some people would say. Yeah, the other reason, yes. And then so Japanese language is really useful. Uh Uh-huh. Right? Yeah, we can say just the atomic bomb it's coming to us. <laughs> right. <laughs> Not who's to push the button, but but that's interesting. And it, it brings a, an interesting, you know, it, it's something to think about is how we use language, right? Yes. And how we explain things. Because, yes. so I'm going to jump a little bit to, mm-hmm. to ask you, and I'll ask you again after we talk about Ienaga Saburo, is yes. this type of language, right? This sort of, mm. it's passive is what it is. It's passive yes. language. Um, what impact does that have on students and on students' um, okay, first thoughts about um, history, but then also their actions in the world? Like, how does that impact? So... When I was a student, that generation, right, mm-hmm. it, it was actually really normal. The, on the textbook, if we cannot find, we couldn't, we couldn't find any passive explanation about the word. Uh-huh. But the teachers told us passively, we accepted that that is normal. And uh-huh. then so our generation... For example, my grandfather, my father had the explanation of the word. 
right? So yeah. the world, this World War Two was, you know, more more familiar, <laughs> familiar mm-hmm. to us. Right. But nowadays, so ten teenagers nowadays, and then the teachers almost twenty years old or 25 years old or 30 years old Mm -hmm. for them their generation it's not so familiar and then the passive emotional explanation about the war is not so how do you say the so how do you say the name feel feel good (laughs) Pleasant. It's more right. Pleasant. More agreeable. More yeah. um, acceptable. Yeah. I think acceptable would be the the word. Yeah, acceptable. Yeah. yeah. So, I started my career as a teacher in yeah. two two thousand. Yeah. At that moment, it was not so. Yeah. Of course, I had a only world history lessons. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the world history, it means. <laughs> the, the the history about what in the world mm-hmm. of course i needed to explain the world war ii yeah and pacific session at that moment the student's behavior is not so against to the mm-hmm. passive passive attitude of the teachers in, in 2020 mm-hmm. uh, so sorry in 2000 at that mm-hmm. moment yeah but I think about 2010, mm-hmm. around 2010, mm-hmm. the situation is changed. Why? Do, okay, so what was happening in Japan around 2010 that this change, you know, why that the context, what is the historical context of the change, do you think? Mm-hmm. Okay, so that, that moment, the yeah, I was actually a junior high school teacher. Oh, so yeah. it means the younger generation I needed to teach. Yeah. So for that generation, the grandfather, for example, was my father's generation. Yeah. And my father is, yeah, elder than right. the other's father in my generation. How do you say that my father is right now 20, 82 years old, mm-hmm. but um, my classmate, uh, the fathers of my classmate in junior high and high school were uh, are actually 70 years old. Oh, I see. So your yeah. father's a little bit older. Yeah. Um, but your father and your grandfather participated in World War II. Is that correct? Or is it just your grandfather? <laughs> Yes, exactly. My yeah. grandfather was a, how do you say, technica? Yeah. Uh, panzer. So, <laughs> yeah. So, panzer meaning like tanks. Yeah. This is the German yes. word. Yes. So, uh, my grand, my father's generation, but a little bit younger means, uh-huh. so they don't, they don't know the mm. word exactly. Mm. They don't have any memory right. about the word. Yeah, after the World War II, they had a memory, like my mother. My mother is right now 77 years old. So right. she was three years old at the end of World War II. So she doesn't have any memories about the World War II. But right. after that, she had 
for example, she couldn't eat enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that kind of memory she had. But yeah, the, yeah she doesn't have the memory in the world. But mm-hmm. then my father had. Yeah, so the generation was changed. And then the junior mm-hmm. high school at that moment, around 2010, means their their grandfather their grandfathers doesn't doesn't have any memories about war. Yeah. And then so before that, the how do you say typical homework before mm-hmm. that. Is please ask your grandfather right. or father the, about the history, about the story and mm-hmm. uh, World War Two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a typical question and the typical homework. But uh, around 2010, I couldn't, I noticed I couldn't do it. I mean, one of the things is, you know, memory. Like, how how do you begin now that that generation is mm-hmm. passing? I mean, which is, you know, I mean, obviously it's, it's inevitable, right? That each generation passes. But the together to think about at the same time of how to remember um, mm-hmm. who's whose stories to remember. Uh, I think, yeah, is something I think to consider in anywhere, not just Japan, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's a really, yeah, problem, <laughs> big problem, big issue right now in fam, I think. Right. Because, yeah, actually, our generation, the teachers are so passive, but that's not the, on the textbook, right? On the right. textbooks, on the books. Yeah, so that's not the written written history, right? So they're relying on so teachers yeah. now because of that lo- generation having passed and not having lived memory and lived experience, they're yes. relying on the textbook. So now maybe we could move into the next question about mm-hmm. textbooks. So there, um, Ienaga Saburo, which I'll explain yes. who he is um, to to our listeners, but he took the Japanese government to court. So I'll explain, Ienaga Saburo, I'm not sure what his profession was, but he was asked um, by like the education um, department in Japan Mm -hmm. to revise the curriculum, the history curriculum. He revised it and then the um, education department, which is part of the Japanese government, Mm -hmm. sent back like around 14 points that they wanted him to change. Yes. And he, um, I think he changed them, but he was very concerned that these changes were unconstitutional, meaning (laughs) it was censorship, that the Japanese government was censoring history. So he took the Japanese government to court. And I cannot remember, I don't know, um, Reiko, if you remember what year he began this battle um, and these court battles, really, he took the yes. Japanese government to court and challenged them um, uh, on this based on the Constitution of Japan. Um, and uh, I don't remember what when he started. He started that battle, battle uh-huh. 1956 or that kind of year. I'm not sure. Uh, the, I'm sure it it was 1960s. Oh, it was the 60s. Okay. Yes. Um, that's that's that the battle uh-huh, <laughs> lasted yeah. for 30 oh, years. Oh, 
Right, until right. 1991, right? Yeah, uh, the 1997 was the end. Oh, 1997, okay. Yes. So, um, it lasted for 30 years, and then, so, he taught, he... He said about the uh, forty point or yeah, mm. as you said, uh, the and then so the judgment judge, yeah, the judgment judge. said the the not all of them, but some of them was out of the constitution, right? Mm -hmm. At the end of the battle, so it means uh, the. Not perfectly, but the partly, Ienaga Saburo won that part. That's the point. So, two uh, the 1997, in 1997, he finally won the battle. But the our authorizing system of the textbook, yeah, itself, it was not is not the out of the constitution. That decision of the of the court, right? And then, so in two, two, uh, the 1997, yeah, so the nationalists started to think about that problem more seriously. Why? And let me actually just explain. Um, mm -hmm. I, I know in our personal conversations, we talk, you talk about yes. um, the Nihon Kaigi, which is like there are a group of extreme nationalists. Yes. Yeah, um, extreme nationalists. Yeah, I yeah. have my experience with them is my grandmother lived in Shibuya, and so you know I'd go down to Shibuya, and every Sunday, they're out <laughs> in the, these militarized kind of trucks, right? The like, like light gray trucks with Japanese flag and also the Rising Sun flag, which is the imperial flag, yes. and they you know would shout really loud in you know the, the <laughs> central part of of Shibuya. So you know that the, and they're also. Um, they want the reinstatement of the emperor as the leader of the country. Yes. And so, you know, so it's, it's back to imperial Japan. And um, so, yeah, so that's kind of the the, uh, the Japanese yeah. nationalists. Anyways, but the so. Nationalists, yeah, maybe your experiences about the nationalists in Shibuya. Mm -hmm. That was the ordinary, old generation nationalists. Uh-huh. And what is the, the more current generation? Because is actually new generation nationalists. And, and how are they different? You know, so their, you know, their movement or their action is not so... Uh, the like before, you know, so the with a black colored truck with uh, flags and then loud, uh, so, uh, really loud songs are uh, going around. The kind of strange behavior they didn't have. Mm -hmm. Just they behaved. They are behaving as a political. Uh, so know. they basically, so what you're saying, if I, if I might just sort of summarize what you're saying, you're saying yeah. that, you know, when I was growing up in Japan, like the mm -hmm. nationalists were more radical on the streets, like, you know, yeah. shouting. Um, yes. But now in the 2000s, they've taken political power. Political power. And then so they, they yeah, how do you say, send some person to the, uh, the 
教育委員会エデュケーションディパートメントエデュケーションディパートメントガバメントディカインドスモールムーブメントディスタデッドナインティナインティナインティナインティナインティナインティナインティナインティナインティナインティナインティナインティナインティナインティナインティナインティナインティナインティナインティナインティナインティナインティナインティナイ Yeah. Sort of taken over like the、um, education department, for example,、mm-hmm. and the government. And the education is, I don't know if it's more censored now than before. That you maybe you could tell me a little bit more about that. But what、uh-huh, okay. impact does that have、mm-hmm. on the people of Japan、mm-hmm. and their ability to resist or to, to rebel or to fight、mm-hmm. back? Okay, so the keywords of that kind of Groups、mm-hmm. is、uh, the how do you say the jigaku shikan, we call that,、mm-hmm. and the masochism. That's really the keywords of that kind of movement. Oh, masochistic view of history, self tormenting. Yes, you're right, masochistic, like a、yeah. self, self. Hurting, you hurt yourself. Yeah, self hurting. Yeah. Self hurting、uh, the history or something like that. Right. And、um, so, yeah, after Ienaga Saburo's battle,、mm-hmm. Nippon Kaige organized,、mm-hmm. or almost the same, same time Nippon Kaige organized.、Mm-hmm. And then they started to say the, now,、uh, the history lessons, history textbook、mm-hmm. in Japan is based on the masochism. Masochism. Masochistic view. Ma- yeah,、uh-huh. masochistic view of the history.、Mm-hmm. And what does that mean, actually? I, it's not a word that we use here in, in like, the US. So, can you explain what is a masochistic view of history? <laughs> yes, it's really. It's <laughs> you know, so, how do you say? So, that's really strange. Perspective, I think, but so if, for example,、ね、if they say the Nanjin, how do you say Nanjin's problem?、Uh, inv- right. So、um, I, I would say the invasion of Nanjing, but of course Japan would say yeah. the incident. Yeah, <laughs> Nanjin, that kind of things was happened.、Mm-hmm. If, if we teach That kind of story to the students, they say、ね、the、yeah. students cannot love Japan. <laughs> the, the education, Japanese education, should be, should let the students love Japan. <laughs> so, in a, in a way, like if we were to use an English word, patriotism. Yeah, yes. So,、uh, that's the reason why we don't have to actually don't have to tell them. That kind of story. It is mas-、uh, masochistic view. perspective of the history. They right, say. right. 
And and you also in in another time you also had mentioned that that the Japanese textbooks focus on the victims or the victimization of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, yes. but not not Japan's um, imperialist, you know, like the massacre in Nanjing or you know um, and all the other horrible things that that Japanese yes. soldiers had done. So it, it's like focusing more on the victimization. Yes. The other. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So that's the uh, the that's a how do you say one point? You know. So the about U.S. bombing or the atomic bomb, we don't say who did it, right? Yeah. yeah. And then so for a long time, even though the teachers are so passive, the teachers were so passive, we didn't say clearly. We didn't need to say clearly who did it because textbooks are based on the textbook. They don't explain clearly mm-hmm. the who did it, right? Right, right. And then the about China, about the only the history in China, Korea, or yeah, Southeast Asia. We are not sure mm-hmm. <laughs> actually mm-hmm. on the textbook. Book, it's a really short explanation, but uh, you know. So at that moment, we need to say Japan did. <laughs> yes. So this kind of imbalance and made this this idea, I think. Right. Yes. And, and so going back to the impact on on people and sort of people. Really resisting against this and against Japanese imperialism and and possibly capitalism, um, like how does this type of education influence people? Yes. So, for example, two thousand six, two thousand six, Koizumi, the yeah. prime minister, Koizumi, yeah. uh, the uh, the at that moment the. The fundamental role of education in Japan was revised. And then so on that law, we can clearly see the, the student uh, would love Japan was a kind of, yeah, patriotism. Mm-hmm. We, can, we can see on that law. Can you give and an example then, from the law? Yeah, before... Before that, the fundamental law in two thousand uh, the nineteen sixty four. Mm-hmm. No, 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 forty six, forty seven. Mm-hmm. We don't. We didn't write about the patriotism, but uh, on in two thousand six. So fifth, uh, fifth purpose mm-hmm. is the the student student. Uh, the will uh, the respect mm-hmm. the tradition and the culture in Japan, and then the kyodo aisuru. So the student will love the country, the kind of things on the road. Yes. Before that, no. But clearly, in thousand in two thousand six, uh-huh. clearly it explained like like that. And then, yeah. And then, so the, for example, the history textbook, mm-hmm. the uh, that history textbook association is also at the end of two thousand 
Japanese Society for History Textbook Reform organized.、Mm, okay. Yes. And then, so they clearly say that、uh, the more they, against, they are against the masochistic history. Mm-hmm. Mm, okay. Yes. And then, so right now, not all of the Japan, all of Japan、mm-hmm. but about six or seven percent of the schools use s this, te- this textbook. And、uh, so the numbers of the schools who accept this textbook is increasing right now. Right now, about 7% or something like that, but then maybe more and more. So that's,、uh, that's a changing around 2010. And then, so for example, Hashimoto, the、mm-hmm. President, how do you say in Osaka Prefecture? Okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah, he said, yeah, he is also related with Nippon Kaigi,、oh. and then he is clearly say the the textbooks by Japanese Society for Te- History Textbook Reform、mm-hmm. are really fit to the new fundamental role of education.、Mm. The reason why the, our situation about especially the textbook is changed. Yeah. And then the teacher generation is changed, the、yeah. student generation is changed. So, yeah, so now that this, the, it's really hard to tell them the, how do you say, the history in, for example, Korea, China,、mm-hmm. and then and also the US. US bombed,、uh, for example, Tokyo, Yokohama, this kind of story, really,、uh, possibly. It's、mm-hmm. really hard to tell them that kind of story, possibly. Is the, are, so, aside from the historical, like, history textbook association, are there other people、um, resisting against this sort of masochistic view of history?、Uh, so, like parents not- or. Oh, it's hard. That's also the, how do you say, the, uh, the generation situation,、mm-hmm. I guess.、Right. So, and the、uh, uh, internet or TV show,、mm-hmm. yeah, right now they based on that kind of idea. The, History that they were told.、Mm-hmm. That means the parents' generation is my generation, right? <laughs> the history that the parents were told is masochistic history.、Oh, for right. So they wouldn't、yeah. think of resisting it because they, they might not be aware. They don't, yeah. Right. Okay. Well, that's great.、Um, is there. This gives us a lot to think about, I think, like, you know, in terms of, and really like comparing it to US textbooks and US history.、Yes. It's, it's great information.、Um, is there anything else you would like to tell us? Yes. So,、uh, so, so, I need to tell you the generation of the teachers from right now and then、um, before,、mm-hmm. because, yeah, my generation is 
yeah, my generation graduated the university just after the bubble economy, right? And then yeah. our generation could not be become teachers. Only one teacher uh-huh. out of 1,000. Oh, wow. That was really hard. So maybe we can see any uh, the uh, data in you know, internet, but mm-hmm. the, the numbers of the teachers in our generation from mm-hmm. 40 to 45 is extremely uh, the yeah small group. So most that's also the problem. You know, mm. so our generation was actually the last generation. Mm. The teachers, all the older teachers taught us so possibly. Right, right, right. But yeah, not based on the textbook, basically, but they had more motivation to tell us about the war. Right. Yeah. Right. The victims or do something wrong in China, anything. Anything about the word is possibly taught. <laughs> in right. So meaning in your generation, it was told because the teachers um, experienced it and they also wanted yes. to give that information. Right. Yes. And right. then so they wanted to uh, tell us, actually, that we need to keep peace. Yeah, we need to, we, we don't have to war, do, we don't have to go to war, war again, right? Right. right. Whereas yeah. in, in currently, if, if students or people don't know about past Japanese history, it could lead possibly to war because, I mean, the nationalists are very, um, I mean, they want, you know, like Abe wants to have a Japanese military. And as we yes. know, Article 9 says, Japan may not have a military. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, that makes sense. Yes. And then, so, but, but, I, our generation could not become teacher uh-huh. for about 10 years. We call that lost generation. Oh, and then, cool. so the, the schools had right. the similar situation. Mm. So, that means we cannot pass that kind of story. Right to the next generation. Right, wow. Well, th- I think it's such an interesting strategic way to cut off um, yes. that type of storytelling from, yes. from the Japanese population. Wow. Yes. And then so history is the worst, uh, the situ- uh, history had the worst his- uh, the situation because uh, the li- teacher's license in Japan, Yeah. Uh, the the student who studied, for example, law, economy, and then sociology, education, yeah. mm-hmm. and the history, geography, can get the license uh, for the social studies. So that means many students could, can get the, so, uh, the license for the social, social study teacher mm-hmm. and the economic situation in that point about to 1997 or 1998, 1999 was really low. Mm-hmm. So the many students wanted to be the teacher 
because other other job is not right there. right there was yeah so wow. so it means only one t- one teacher yeah out of 10 1000 or mm-hmm. one teacher out of uh, the 80 80 candidates that mm-hmm. happened wow. about 10, 10 years and then our tradition actually tradition <laughs> to pass that kind of モンドリヒゲシテっていうのなんていうのえっとコミュニケーションじゃないしなんていうんだろうコートのライクノレッジかちがあ口と頭口と頭そうライクオーラルヒストリーあいやいやいや口と頭つけるそうイエスオーラル
1492. <laughs> or do I know the rhyme? <laughs> and um, the, that narrative doesn't really go much beyond that other than Columbus is this discoverer of the Americas, blah, blah, blah. Um, so in some of the efforts at our school of rethinking Columbus Day, basically we need to understand Columbus's individual role in a context of European colonialism and that it sought wealth and that it sought the expanse at the expense of Native Americans, it sought wealth and the expansion of um, mm-hmm. land grabs of the this new land. Um, and that students should also learn that Native Americans resisted this expansion. Yeah. And so that's the censorship that's happening. So we started a project this year um, based on uh, projects that other schools have done uh, called the Historians Conference in at Guilford Central School. I've been having this conversation about censorship with our school librarian who is also taking a class right now um, some university college about censorship in school libraries and fourth grade this year is going to have a historians conference in which students are going to analyze and present their analysis of books that are about native americans in our own school library so angela saviano who's our librarian and i have been going through our library books and just looking not only for books that are about Indians, but books about westward expansion, books about Thanksgiving, books about Columbus, or anything that would mention Native Americans, and sort of flipping through them and analyzing ourselves. And one book, like when I went in the library yesterday in preparation for this show, I pulled a book, If You Traveled West in a Covered Wagon, that took me about two seconds to find this book. I just looked in a section about westward expansion, and you can see throughout the whole book, it's mostly about um, uh, pioneers uh, moving out west and what it would be like to be um, a pioneer. And then there's one section about what would happen if you ran into Indians. And it says in the book, you might find nice Indians or you might find not nice Indians. If you find the nice ones, they would like to trade with you. And if you find the not nice ones, they might tie you up and steal your cattle. And so it's all about um, commerce and trade, first of all. But also, it doesn't name it doesn't name the nations of people that they are um, in conflict with. And it also completely leaves out all of the massacres that have ex- that have happened throughout this westward expansion that the people know about. Right. And I, I happened to take photos. Um, I was taking a class and um, the professor brought in um, some books um, about indigenous peoples, right? Children's books. So, you know, for example, The Indigenous Adventures of Princess Vanaye, um, volume one, Exploring Africa and America. And, you know, all these other possibilities of the circle of thanks, Native American poems and songs of Thanksgiving, um, the people shall continue talking about resistance. And that, that really is a huge piece about resistance. And it's so interesting. You know, there are, there are books out there <clears throat> though, right? That, that are um, native, native, that centralizes Native American stories. Yes. Yeah, 
students in the classroom are, are encouraged to think about, first of all, who wrote this book? Who's the author? Are they indigenous? And what's the book? Is the book about Native Americans or is it about... Um, because gen a lot of times books that are just about Indians are actually sort of give an inaccurate description of what Native Americans are because it'll be like, uh, I don't know how to explain, but like a book that's, instead of telling like a more complete story, it's just like a book that's focused in on Native Americans. Mm -hmm, I don't know. Right. As opposed to the relationship between Native Americans and the yeah, so, so colonists. It's like Native Americans as a unit of study rather mm -hmm. than like as people in, right, right. in history. Mm -hmm. um, so students are encouraged to read books by questioning how many times did Columbus talk, if they're looking at books about Christopher Columbus, how many times did we get to know what he was thinking? How many times did Native people talk? Were they given names? Were their nations talked about? Um, and so students would analyze these books and decide whether they feel like it should stay on the school shelves. Is this an accurate portrayal of history? And write an opinion paper on that. And then also some of these books that Nina were share, was sharing, students can recommend for our school library. That's great. And Angela asked an uh, important question, is it censorship to take these books off of the shelf? And I, it made me really think be, in the context of people who are taking down racist monuments, uh, renaming Columbus Day to Indigenous Peoples Day, a lot of the uh, response to that is, is this censorship? Right. I mean, I don't think it's censorship because, for example, that book is not history. I mean, so, for example, let's take the, the monuments in the South, right? The monument in and of itself, right, doesn't explain anything. If the monument's going to be there with the historical context of who built it, why, when, for what purpose, um, then great. I think it should be there as a as a tool of education. But the the monument in and of itself, just standing there, or the book, these books, right, without the context, right. is miseducation of everyone. Um, so absolutely not. It's not censorship. Uh, I think it's putting history into context. Right. And the point is not to hide anything, I don't think, from kids. Like, my response to Angela was, oh, we could have a shelf of inaccurate histories that kids can study and the kids can look at these books, but we cannot put this on the shelf as history and say that this right. is what happened. Right, exactly. Um, I think what your students are doing is am are amazing because, I mean... I mean, just to put like a technical term to it, it's like critical discourse analysis. Like they're analyzing things and yep. it's such a great, what a great project. Yeah, so we, we are 20 minutes over time in the studio and <laughs> looks like some people are coming in to do some other work. Yeah, so um, thank you so much for listening and we'll be back next Sunday.